You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. First reading is from Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And the second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just a couple of verses from verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body. Thanks, Danielle, and good uh, morning to you all from uh, me. Before um, I interview uh, Sam with Josh's support and help, um, I'd like to uh, show you a film. The last things we talk about, we need to talk about the things that we don't talk about. Uh, for those of you who were here last week, I explained that so often we find ourselves in life where we're thinking about big issues, we're thinking about issues that impact our lives, but we can't talk about them as part of our faith. So we end up in a situation where church becomes a falsehood because it's not related to the actual reality of all the stuff we worry and are concerned and are anxious about, the stuff that's actually going on. We all end up with secret behaviours, a kind of private us that we're not allowed to talk about to others. That can't be good, can it, if God is love. Um, this morning, we're going to, as, uh, as Leanne uh, has said, we're going to talk about dying and we're going to talk about resurrection. And we're going to talk about what used to be called euthanasia, a horrible term, I think, but it's about assisted dying. Is there a time... When we reach a place in life, some of us, where we're trapped here rather than released because of the advances in medicine which artificially keep people from the peace that they seek. I'm sure there's not a person amongst us who's not been in a situation where you've got someone that you love that's in a care home 
and their life quality just shrinks away to nothing, but they're almost artificially kept in this way. So how do we approach these issues without a dogmatism? Last thing to say, and then I'm going to show you a little film. Um, the last thing to say is that I hope you know about our church is that those who stand at the front don't speak the word of the Lord. What we do is we join in a conversation together as we think together as individuals and work all this stuff out for us. You shouldn't take anything that anyone says in an unfiltered way. It's our job as a community, isn't it, to think through these things and wrestle with all these big things together. Uh, that's what we do. Now, after this week, next week, we're going to be celebrating uh, Black History Month, as Leanne's already said, with Jidai McCauley, who's absolutely wonderful founder of what's called the House of Rainbow as well. Jidai is, um, is now a chaplain in Manchester University, so he's coming to be with us, and you will love what he says. He's a, he's a great guy. And then after that, he's a really great guy, and then after that, um, it, through no, uh, Nove uh, November, yeah, November we're being then, it's amazing, isn't it, how the summer disappears and it's Christmas all of a sudden. Um, through November, we, uh, we've got a series uh, which is just called Here I Am. I don't know if you know that there's a, well, you probably don't, there's a Hebrew word, Hanani, and uh, the word Hanani means here I am. And there are a number of people that God asks in the Old Testament, like Moses and Samuel and others, um, where are you? And they say, here I am. And we're going to explore what here I am means, because it doesn't mean I'm over here. It means something a little bit deeper than that. So that's going to be fun together. But first, today. And uh, I wonder if you could switch. Ah, uh -uh. okay. So I've got to turn this off. Always harder to do when uh, you're being watched. And then I've got to turn it back on. And then I've got to go like that. Ah, great. So, here we go. So, here is a film um, about a man called Jeff. I mean, when you've got a husband as brave as mine, you have to. You have to support him. Mind your head. Mind your head. Yeah, sorry, darling. That's right. It is one of the illnesses that really you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, particularly the, the final weeks or, or possibly months, which are or can be particularly gruesome. And I decided that I didn't really want to go through that. We were quite reconciled to that, and I know that Anne was reconciled to the fact that she may be interviewed when she came back. Okay. Uh, can you give a push up, darling, please? Uh, lean forward. Yeah. That's most unusual, and that's because an anonymous call was received by the social services, and it's the police's job in the domestic abuse unit to follow that up. So there was a policewoman and a detective sergeant, and they were clearly. Um, not expecting to find a non-abusive situation because they were very embarrassed about the whole thing. 
please log in. No, really no, no it's not. That that, I'm sorry, I, I pressed the wrong button. It's um, manage, manage your booking. His final limb had gone and he could no longer do anything for himself at all, not even the slightest bit of help. He can't hold a phone, he can't press numbers, he can't feed himself. He, whereas before he could hold a, a glass of gin and tonic, even if I put a straw in it, he could do that. So you have, you have had to make a decision as to whether to, in legal terms, assist Jeff to commit suicide. I didn't think of it like that. If my husband says to me, now I want you to make this phone call for me, what am I expected to do? Have an argument with him? I couldn't do that. No, if he, if he said, ring this hotel, ring this airline, which is what he did, of course I did it for him. The first responsibility is to decide, and this is quite right, is to decide whether I'm the sort of person in, in, uh, in a full mental state. And having established that, I thought that would be the end of it. I've never seen Jeff cry in 52 years of married life, but I found him with his head in his hand and he was just sobbing. He said, everything that I've worked for to protect you has all been blown apart by this anonymous phone call. Having been at peace with myself and family for the last two years, I became completely terrified the control was going to be taken away from me. If, if it is impossible, the Australians and the Canadian and, and, and people in the state, they'll leave it. Knowing he was in control of his end, we could put it in a box and we could get on and live as normal as possible. A good grandfather, yeah. I've got four children. <laughs> How important is it for you that, that you have this legacy after you're dead of the law perhaps changing, or at least the debate changing? Oh, Geronimo, that would be absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I want the act to be designed so that any rational person of, 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 uh, who's in full control of his mind makes that decision can be helped in any way by other people without any fear of, uh, of prosecution. For some people, the moment of your passing is a matter for the Almighty and not for well, there we are. you. Well, it's a religious view. Do you not respect that view? Oh, um, um, it's a difficult one um, because I, 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 I always respect people's views, but I expect to be able to participate in a debate with them. Um, a great theological truth captured there. There's lots of theology that's been written, huge thinkers around what the Bible teaches over the years, about what makes a human being a human being. What is it that makes us human? And when do we become human? And the best thinking about all of this, in my view, and I convey simply, which is what's taken up literally thousands of very complicated PhDs, etc., etc., is this. Being human is about freedom. It's about choice. When God creates humanity, they, we, become creators ourselves. Initiative, the ability to make our choices, 
the freedom of the will. Some of you may know that it's not, this hasn't just been about Christian thought, but philosophers across the centuries and the millennia have said it's the ability to choose freedom that makes us human. Without that, we'd be autonomous. We'd be robots. In a world of no free choice, there can be no responsibility either. No one can be held accountable for anything that they didn't have a choice in. So, it's our freedom, our will, our ability to choose that makes us human. So say philosophers and theologians. Jeff captured it, didn't he? He said, I want to be able to have a say in my own destiny. But Jeff actually went to uh, Switzerland and died at the beginning of February as his choice this year. But is it for us to choose? Or as BBC commentator said, is this a choice the Almighty makes? But then if it's a choice that God makes, what about all those people who are kept alive because they're in situations where even 50 years ago they would have naturally died but our medicines extend life, but don't extend quality of life. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit. And then there's a chance for you to ask questions. You look very sober about this, but let me remind you <laughs> that we've just sung songs about the resurrection. We've just sung songs, uh, songs about hope. And some might argue... Why do we cling to this life with every last breath? I've got to have faith that I'll be cured of this and this and this and that. Why do we have that much faith and cling to life that much? Because surely real faith would say there is hope beyond death. It's what we sing about every Sunday. So it may be that those who put all their faith in answers being kept and then being healed of everything, actually in the end lack faith in a bigger picture. What do you think? I'd like to introduce you and I'd like you to give a big warm welcome to Sam and to uh, Josh, who's come to uh, assist him. So. Now I have to tell you, um, as, as I introduce Sam, uh, that the most meaningful conversation I've ever, ever had about this subject, the rawest, most honest conversation I've ever had uh, on this subject in my whole life was with Sam uh, when we met in the middle of the lockdown some some point. Well, it couldn't have been a lockdown, else we'd have both been locked down. It must have been just emerging uh, from uh, a lockdown. And um, I, Sam will explain as we go along uh, what... Uh, that was all about. But Sam, you kindly said to me, ah, oh, you need some microphones. You can't speak yet, can you? There you go. All right. Uh, Sam, you kindly said to me at the end of our conversation um, uh, about the things I've just been talking about that um, I was really helpful to you. And remember I said to you, no, you are far more helpful to me uh, than I'll ever be to you. So... It's because of that conversation that I invited uh, Sam uh, here today. Sam's worked in the public sector 
um, and uh, in, in charities for 14 years, and he's currently uh, the chair of something called the uh, Margaret Clitheroe Trust, which he'll tell us about in a bit. But that works with gypsy and Roma and traveller communities. And our conversation was really about the fact that because um, Oasis, and I'm kind of responsible for this, is setting up this alternative to a youth jail, which is going to open next year, so many travellers, so many uh, 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 Gypsy and Romney young people get caught up in the justice system. And so we're beginning to think about that. But it's also true that amongst those groups of people, uh, so many young people commit suicide. And uh, Sam is extraordinary. Um, you're 30, aren't you, Sam? Um, yeah. And uh, I just can't uh, imagine, uh, I can't believe how Sam's packed everything in, but he's a con Sam's a constant campaigner around disability and about mental capacity and family law and children's law and equalities and healthcare and social housing. So how do you pack all that into the life? Sam, welcome. Thank you. Um, so, first of all, tell us about your, your chair of the Margaret Clitheroe um, Trust. Tell us about what the Margaret Clitheroe Trust does. So, thank you for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, as you said, Margaret Trust says, as you said, Margaret Clitheroe Trust serves gypsy, Roma and traveller communities. Um, and what you see in the newspapers and on the TV does not really matter the reality of people's lived experience. And what you see on the TV and in newspapers doesn't really match up to the reality of people's lived experiences. So I'll give you some statistics. So I'll give you some statistics. One in five childhood mothers leave a child before they reach the age 18. One in five traveller mothers lose a child before they reach the age of 18. One in 11 travellers die by ending their own life. One in 11 travellers die by ending their own life. When the government collects statistics. When the government collects statistics. Um, they have by some margin the lowest life expectancy, the lowest education savings, and the highest rates of hate crime towards them themselves or any other So they have, by some margin, the lowest life expectancy, the lowest education attainment, and the highest rates of hate crime against them in the, in the UK. Yeah, and, and that's really interesting because um, uh, knowing about education as I do, it's often said, uh, it's often said that um, black Caribbean uh, young boys or mixed race Caribbean and poor white working class uh, boys do worse in the education system of everyone. Um, uh, African and Chinese and Indian kids do best in our education system. But the reality is, that the gypsy and the traveller and the Roman community, they just bottom out the whole lot, don't they? Far worse outcomes in our education system for this group of young people than anyone else, by far. And that's not just the reasons you might have picked, 
instructed us to give the good education. And that's not just for the reasons you might think. The structures aren't set up to give them a good education. In 1994, we repealed the laws that meant the local authorities had a duty to provide land for travel to live on. So in 1994, we repealed the laws that gave a duty to local authorities to provide land for travellers to live on. And since then, we've made it harder and harder for these communities to live freely amongst us. And we all know the social issues that have had. And since then, we've made it harder and harder um, for these communities to live freely amongst us. And, and we're all aware, I think, of the social issues that has come with that. So, Margaret Trust takes the, the reading added message very seriously. So Margaret Clitheroe Trust takes the reading earlier from Matthew 25 very seriously. The least of our brothers and sisters are synonymous with God. The least of our brothers and sisters are synonymous with God. And unfortunately, travellers are definitely considered the least in our society. And unfortunately, travellers are definitely considered the least in our society. But I think God would you actually work alongside people in the community. It's not hard to see they overplay everything in love. So as in God, once you work alongside these, um, these people in these communities, it's not hard to see that they overflow with dignity and love. And, and just to sum as we work alongside them to do what the brings of healthcare to education to legal work. And just to summarise, we work alongside them to um, offer services and work that ranges from education to healthcare to legal work. Which is uh, uh, amazing. So I guess already you're beginning to see why I found my conversation uh, with Sam uh, so, um, so moving and thought-provoking because, Sam, I have to say to you, instead of being wrapped up in your own issues, uh, I just discovered you as somebody who was passionately concerned about the needs of others. So I, I've, I've already said that it's not just all of these other issues, it's there's this huge high suicide rate, isn't there, uh, amongst travellers. Tell us about that and what we can do about it. So, as some of you may be aware, um, travellers are invariably devoutly religious. So, uh, as, some as, you, as some of you may be aware, uh, travellers are invariably devoutly religious. And so, when you attach the sin label to ending your own life. So when you attach the sin label to ending your own life. It, it drives this problem underground and it means that no one talks about it. It drives the issue underground and means that no one wants to talk about it. Very often we have clients that, that die completely unexpectedly. And very often we have clients that die completely unexpectedly. Um, a famous, psychiatrist once said, a famous psychiatrist once said that many people with cancer will try 
anything to prolong their life. That many people with cancer will try everything to prolong their life. That if someone wants to end their life, they know they're suffering, but they just want to do but with someone that wants to end their life, they're in so much suffering that they just want everything to stop. The, uh, the charity we, we recognise the suffering um, of people in that situation, and we teach a compassionate approach. So at the charity, we recognise the suffering of people in that situation, and we try and teach a compassionate approach. Again, in God, we see, we see those who suffer, and we see their love and their dignity. And again, um, we see God in those that suffer, and we recognise their dignity. And uh, what we like to do with our travels and team is we open up conversations in the community, and make sure that they get out of the support that they need. And then we open up those conversations in the, in the community and make sure that they can access the support they need. In other words, love of the earth and not, not, not In other words, love is the answer, not um, hmm. vengeance or judgment. As it it's, really, it's really, there, there should be a time for questions, Peter. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. No. No worries at all, Richard and Yvonne. God bless you both. Yeah. So I'd like. Uh, so the the point is this, isn't it? Even in calling ending your life suicide, you make it like homicide. You uh, you make it like genocide. So the term is about a crime, isn't it? Whereas um, the pressure on a person and the loneliness and the stress and anxiety on a person ending their life in any circumstances, it's not a crime, is it? It's a tragedy of the lack of love, would you say? It's usually a tragedy, although there are exceptions. It's usually a tragedy, although there are exceptions. Yes, no, absolutely. Which kind of leads us on, uh, doesn't it, uh, Sam, in to talking about your story, um, because as we hear, um, as we just watched this film about Jeff wanting to take his own life, that's where our conversation began to, together. Um, again, you know, you are, in my eyes, an absolutely extraordinary person, um, but have struggled with your health from birth haven't you, which isn't getting better, but is deteriorating all the time. And we had this conversation about whether it was ever right for a Christian, somebody who believed that life was a gift from God, to want to end their life. Sure. I think shortly before we met professionally, I had a second diagnosis. Shortly before we met professionally, I'd had a second diagnosis. Um, and you put my different diagnoses together? You put my different diagnoses together. Um, and, and the long term, 
medium term future doesn't look very good. And the, the medium term future doesn't look very good. Um, I like you to end up bedtime. <laughs> I'm able to go to the toilet and in the manageable setting. I'm likely to end up bedbound, unable to go to the toilet, and in unmanageable pain. So I'd like the reassurance that when I get to that point, I'll have the freedom with my doctor to make the right decision for me, up to and including medically assisted dying. So I'd like the reassurance that when I get to that point, um, with my doctors, I can make the decision about medically assisted dying. I'll have the freedom to do that. And have the freedom to do that. And I, I see another country like Switzerland, the, the dignity and freedom and love afforded to those in an imperfect. And I've seen in other countries like Switzerland, the dignity, um, free will and love afforded to those in tremendous, um, immense suffering. Yeah, in, in, um, it's really interesting that in this country, I, um, I was listening to somebody um, who's a very good friend of mine. Uh, I was listening to him on the radio, and he's one of the only bishops in the Church of England to speak up for the LGBT community. And, uh, you know, he and I have worked together on a, a lot of things. But he was being asked about assisted dying, and he said, nope, that's off the table. We can never talk about that. We can never talk about that. I've, I've not got round to... Um, uh, talking to him about it, nothing's ever off the table, is it? <laughs> the things we say are off the table, everybody's talking about anyway, so you might as well put them back on the table and have a proper conversation and a kind of secret around the sides conversation uh, about it. Of course, there are Oasis works in Belgium, and uh, Belgium has had assisted dying, which is signed up to by even the Catholic Church for years and years and years. We assume that the way we see the world is the way everybody else sees the world, but you can hop on a plane across to Belgium and encounter a completely different attitude to this in churches. So that's why it's good to think about all this stuff, isn't it? Uh, so, Sam, as you've found yourself in this situation, what are your thoughts theologically about all of this? That we've discovered emphasize that the leader pointed the finger on these are not right or wrong. So we want to emphasise these are points to think on, they're not right or wrong. Um, let's start with the boring stuff. Um, let's start with the boring stuff. Lives um, uh, are not kill, which is better than better than better not murder. Uh, thou shall not kill, which is better translated as thou shall not murder. The word uh, comes in the word Redsark in Hebrew. It comes from the word retzark in Hebrew. Retzark is, is a visceral, angry word. And retzark is a visceral, angry word. Meaning to destroy. Meaning to destroy. When we look wider at the rest of Deuteronomy and the Old Testament. And when we look wider at the rest of Deuteronomy and the Old Testament. Murder is very much about the unlawful killing without justification. Murder is very much about unlawful killing without a justification. There's not, there's not any, any direct comment on 
There's not any direct comment on suicide or assisted dying. And that only came about when Augustine and Martin Luther decided to make a view about the possibly political gains. So that only came about when Augustine and Martin Luther um, made an issue out of it, possibly for political gains. Looking more broadly. Uh, looking more broadly. I think most Christians accept the calling to relieve suffering. I think most Christians accept the calling to relieve suffering. But believe that death is in, 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 in a, a book where, uh, where only God omnipotent is in control. But when it comes to death, it's in this box that is only subject to God's omnipotence yeah. and control. No, I don't think that really fits with reality. I don't think that really fits with reality. If you think of parents in war zones that burn alive of their children. If you think of parents in, 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 in war zones that are burnt alive in front of their children. I think of children being abducted, raped and killed. Think of children being abducted, raped and killed. I could go on. I could go on. That, I, I don't believe that's God's will. I don't believe that's God's will. Um, I think the teachings of Jesus and Paul are very clear. I think the teachings of Jesus and Paul are very clear. The, the question still to make sure God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a Christian's job to make sure God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so let's take, for example, the story of, of Jeff. So let's take, for example, the story of Jeff. Um, He's obviously suffering immensely. He's obviously suffering immensely. His dignity is being taken away. His dignity is being um, taken away. Um, and he's dying. And he's dying. And he wants to have some freedom and control over that. And he wants to have some freedom and control over that. So, if we go back to our readings. So, if we go back to our readings. Um, Matthew 25 that teaches us that how we treat those who suffer is how we treat God. Matthew 25 teaches us that how we treat those who suffer is how we treat God. And that reminds us of the fact that Jesus himself gave his own life to soak up the pain of the human being. And that reminds me that Jesus gave his own, his own life to soak up others' pain. But crucially, that wasn't the end of the story. But crucially, that wasn't the end of the story. Because two days later came the resurrection. Because two days later came the resurrection. And as our other reading talks about, and as our other reading talks about in Corinthians. In Corinthians. When our when natural body falls, 
when our natural body falls. Our spiritual body rises. Our, our spiritual body rises in communion with God. So, um, if all of that's true, then um, one last question from me, and then there, there's an opportunity for you to ask questions about what Sam's saying, because it's a big subject, isn't it? And you know, as I as I always say, the great thing about a good uh, talk in church sermons, as they get called, is not that everyone agrees, but everyone goes away talking about it and debating it and thinking about it. So that's what what this is about. So Sam, people would say, well, if all of this is true, you know, but you get these unscrupulous relatives, don't you, who can't wait to bump you off so they can get their hands on the cash or the house or the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So if this has got to, if this is about freedom and free will and not trapping people, how, because it's always the, you know, when this gets debated in parliament, it always gets to this stumbling block. How do you protect people from the people who are supposed to love them, but perhaps just want to get them out of the way? Yeah. So we've got to acknowledge that there are significant risks. We've got to acknowledge there are significant risks in this area. The data from Belgium and Switzerland shows. The data from Belgium and Switzerland shows. There's not some mass. There's not some mass exodus of elderly people or those with mental health conditions. In fact, it can provide reassurance to carry on. As Steve mentioned, I work a lot um, in politics and on policy. As Steve mentioned, I work a lot in politics and on policy. And if I was writing the law on assisted dying, you'd have quite a robust safeguarding framework. You'd have to have quite a robust um, safeguarding framework. You'd start with a, 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 a social work assessment a psychiatric assessment, and a medical, medical assessment. Um, and then there'd be a, a hearing in it, and then and a, a rarely named court in this country called court protection. And then a hearing in a, um, a less well-known court in this country, the court of protection. And the aim of that person in that hearing aim of that process and that hearing would be to ensure that the principles of genuine consent and a remedy of last resort are consistently opposed. Would be to ensure that the principles of genuine consent and the idea that it's a, uh, a, a remedy of last resort are consistently upheld. Great. So, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give this mic to Danielle who sat in exactly my eyeline, so that's good. And, and you, you might have a question that you'd like to put to Sam around this. Please do ask as difficult a question as you like. Please do ask as difficult a question as you like. Right. I'm not precious. I'm not precious. 
Uh, Jim, who's a nurse, I'm I'm, he's bound to have a difficult question. Yes, after, actually I've just told you it up. 31 years in the medical services, 16 in the, well, 13 in the Royal Navy, then 18 in NHS. There are times when actually I have stood at the bottom of patients' beds and prayed for them to die because of their, their thing. That process you were just talking about, of, or those interviews and so forth, could that not be too long for some people, though? So, yes, that's a very good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, the, the longer process would be appropriate for people like Jeff and me. The longer process would be appropriate for people like Jeff and me. But the cosplay do have a things that can happen even night. But the Court of Protection do have emergency hearings that can happen even through the night. And, and they can, and in doing so, they can circumvent some of the, the normal assessment processes. And in doing so, they can circumvent some of the normal assessment processes. Do we extrapolate what they do now into today? So you could extrapolate what they do now in other cases to assisted dying. But yes, the answer to question. But yes is the answer to your question. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what. Um, as, a, as a person with hem, a hemiplegic disability, um, thinking about the, the assisted dying thing, and somebody who works in the mental health system as well. Do you think that, dis how do you think people with learning difficulties and um, other men men learning difficulties should, should be treated within this type of thing? Because we're seen as not having the right to have, if, if I put it like, because I'm, I'm gay as well, as a lot of people know, you don't, we, not supposed to have a sexuality, so we're not supposed to have the right to choose. How do you see that going forward in a situation like this? So I think if we think about the, uh, the Mental Capacity Act, we think about the Mental Capacity Act. We we try and make we we do try and make sure that everyone has a way to reach their own decisions. We should try and uh, make sure that everyone has a way to reach their own decisions. And where we, where, and where we, where that's impossible, we have to make a decision in their best interests. And where that's impossible, we have to make a decision that's in their best interests. If we were changing the law tomorrow, if we were changing the law tomorrow, we'd have to start with something, yeah, fairly. If we were changing the law tomorrow, we'd have to start with something that's fairly on, uh, uncontroversial. But we could certainly look at that with, with limited mental capacity down the line. But we could look at the issue of those with limited mental capacity down the line. And I would seek to employ the, the, the principles of that already 
really good Wintergreen because the eggs. I would think we would employ the principles that um, already exist under the Mental Capacity Act to the issue of assisted dying. To, to the issue of assisted dying. It's a bit of a legal answer, but I hope that deals with some of it. Could uh, ah. Hi. Um, so I sat with my mum while she was while she was dying. She was ready to go, and she was in a hospital for about six weeks before she was allowed to go. And in those six weeks, I watched lots of treatment happen that she didn't want and kind of a processing through the medical support um, that she just didn't want to access. And eventually there was a real relief when they finally listened to what she was saying and took everything away. I left us with a magic morphine machine, which was th the way that she ended her life, really. And so it does happen. Um, in hospitals, it does happen that eventually people will listen and people will leave to let somebody die with dignity. But where does the conversation need to, need to start to make this, um, this situation happen for everyone? Because she had to jump through hoops last week. Ooh, in her last week. She had to jump through lots and lots of hoops before she was allowed to die with uh, real dignity and um, not really officially allowed to die. So where do we start the conversation? I think there's two parts to this answer. There's two parts to this answer. One is applying existing law correctly. One is applying existing law correctly. Which is that doctors cannot provide treatment against anyone's will which is that doctors cannot provide treatment against anyone's will. And uh, against the wishes of, say, their secretary. And against the wishes of, or, or against the wishes of, say, their power of attorney. Um, a living will is also a good option. A living will is also a good option. So you write them what your wishes are before you get to that end of their point. So you, so you write down what your wishes are before you get to that end-of-life point. But thinking more broadly... But thinking more broadly... If we had an assisted dying law... If we had an assisted dying law... There could be an application by a to the consultation within hours. There could be an application by a family member, say, to the Court of Protection within hours. And that happens in other areas of medical treatment, but not with the person's dying. And that happens with lots of other areas of medical treatment, but not with assisted dying, as it stands. Yeah. One last question from me, and then we ought to um, we ought to move on. I know there'll be loads more questions. I think Sam's going to be a uh, Sam and Josh are going to be around for a bit, so um, you can put your questions to them. In fact, I know S uh, Sam and Josh would love that to happen. But Sam, if I could ask you just one last question. So what about the, um, the elderly person, for example, example, who kind of ends up feeling pressure 
to ask for assisted dying so that they're not a burden on their family. So it's not that they want to end their lives, it's that they just think, like, I'm in everybody's way and they're all having to come and visit me and see me the whole time, so I'm just a burden. So, so you know, why don't I end it all for their sakes? Or what about somebody who's in a, a poor situation, a depressed situation, and they don't realise that life at that stage will get better for them with treatment. Yeah. So, maybe I didn't want to well earlier, but that was the, the point of the psychiatric and the social work assessment. Yeah, so, 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 so maybe I didn't um, articulate it as, as well as I could earlier, but I think with the psychiatric and medical assessment and social work assessment, and social work assessment. I, and, and quite often, because I see this with child-protecting cases all the time. Because quite often, and I see this with child protection cases all the time. If something gets to a critical point. If something gets to a critical point. Quite often, services will suddenly sit up, take news of a natural support. Quite often, services will suddenly sit up, take notice, and offer more support. That, that covers your mental health issue. So that covers the mental health, your mental health point. Which we go through a lengthy process. We should go through a lengthy yeah. process. The, the adults, um, I think an adult who's in the last week in hospital. So in, in reference to the elderly relatives or adults, an adult that's in their last week in hospital. Yeah. I think we talked about that being quite a different situation. We talked about that being quite a different situation. Because they've got the MND or cancer, then again, that, that process would be there to, to safeguard that. But if they've got, say, MND or, or cancer, that longer process would be there to, to safeguard. Well, so, does that make sense? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense. And what I'd really like to do is I'd like everybody to give you, Sam, and you, Josh, a huge round of applause for your honor. Thank you, Peter, so much for having a chat with the Sorry, I. <laughs> Last thing. Thank you, and please do feel to come have a chat. Yeah, uh, thank you, and please do feel free to come and um, have a chat at the end of the service. And Sam, um, I asked Sam if um, he would lead us in a prayer at, at the end. Sam, you, uh, Sam's really thought about this and written it down and asked me if I would pray with you the prayer that he has written. So thank you, Sam. Let's close before the band comes back to us with this prayer from Sam. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can have difficult, open conversations 
in this open space. We ask that you give us discernment and insight as we reflect on what we've talked about together this morning. Teach us, Lord, that how we treat you is reflected in how we treat those who are suffering and those who are considered to be the least in society. Teach us, Lord, that to love you and to love our neighbour are two sides of the same coin. Teach us, Lord, that when we hurt the least, uh, when, that when we hurt the least of our neighbours, we hurt you. Teach us, Lord, that when we offer hospitality, acceptance, service and kindness without condition, we ensure your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Father, we pray today most especially for those who struggle with mental and physical distress. We pray for those who have suffered so much so that they feel or they have felt in the past a need to end their life. And we pray for those who feel the sorrow of knowing a loved one who has ended their own life. And thus, Lord, we pray for those of us here today who may have felt a sense of worry or upset or anxiety during this service. And we pray that they might feel able to reach out to a friend, to a member of the pastoral team here at Oasis. Above all, we pray that all who suffer will know that everyone, without exception, is a child of, a child of you, God, seen by you with nothing but love and dignity, their spiritual body forever destined to be raised in communion with you. Amen.